This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Just two verses. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Notice immediately the four very, very simple steps in your salvation. You believed, sorry, you heard, you believed, you trusted, and you were sealed. Nothing could be more simpler than that. Four simple steps. You heard, you believed, you trusted, you were sealed. After you heard, after you believed, after you were trusted, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealing was common practice in those days. Everything was sealed from possessions to goods, even to people. Slaves received a mark. Roman soldiers received a mark. So whether it's a, a literal seal or whether it's a mark or whether it's a brand, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Even today, legal documents often have a seal. In a few weeks, we're going to be sending this 40-foot container off. Uh, in case you don't know, the paperwork has to be done. Uh, it involves me going to my solicitor, uh, who write me a letter proving my bona fides. Then that has to be sent to the Foreign Office in London, and then they, which costs money. Then they send back, again, uh, saying that I am who I am, and we are who we are, and we're sending this container. Then that has got to go to the Philippine Embassy in London, and then you've got to pay them some more money. And then that comes back eventually as a, like an A4 sheet with a literal seal and a little ribbon on it. And so unless we get that, then we will not be able to send the container to Subic Bay in the Philippines. So seals are still used even to this day. The Holy Spirit is God's seal upon our lives. It's his brand. It's his mark. It's his seal to prove that we are his 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you is Christ and has anointed us as God, who also has sealed us and has given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God himself is the sealer. Even Jesus, referring to himself in John 6, said, God the Father has set his seal upon me. 2 Corinthians 5 and 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
So the Spirit is a guarantee of something. We'll talk about it in a moment. So we are sealed. After you heard, after you believe, after you trust it, then and only then were you sealed with the Holy Spirit. The sign that we are sealed is simply this, Galatians 4 and 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. How you know that you have the seal of the Holy Spirit is because your heart towards God has completely changed. You know who He is. You know He's your Father, your Heavenly Father, and you treat Him as such. You know that you're His son, you're His daughter, and He treats you as such. So you know that you're sealed because your whole view has changed about God. He's not this great grandfather in the sky. He's your Heavenly Father who knows you intimately and that you are getting to know intimately yourself. What's the significance of the sealing? Well, in case of a transaction, like I just talked about for a moment, in the case of a transaction, it means the deal is done. It means now it's set, it's finished, it's completed, it's done. In Islam, Muslims call Muhammad the seal of the prophets because they don't believe there's going to be another prophet. He's the seal of the prophet. He's the completion of all of the prophets. That's what they believe. Of course, we don't believe that, but that's what they believe. That's what they call him, the seal of the prophets. So that speaks of something that's complete, that's finished. And the Holy Spirit has completed us in that sense where he has sealed us. Glory to God. What does the sealing of the Holy Spirit speak of? Well, it speaks of security for a start. Do you remember whenever Daniel... How that he was thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel 6, 17 says, Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So in other words, when he was put into that den, it was sealed so that nobody could interfere with what was going to happen. It was sealed. In Matthew 27, do you remember after Jesus had died on that cross and his body was laid in the tomb? Those Pharisees, they went to Pilate and they said, this deceiver has said that after three days, days he will rise again. So here's what we want. We want a seal to be set on his tomb. So he says, go your way. Set a seal, set a guard upon the tomb. And that's exactly what they did. In other words, so that no one could touch it. Rome had sealed it. No one could open that. It was set. It was done. That's what that means. Second Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. You're sealed tonight. The Lord has set a seal upon you if you're a believer. And the Lord knows who is his. In John chapter 10. John chapter 10. 
Verse 26, he said, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There's something secure about being in the hands of the Lord. We're seated unto the day of redemption. And no man on this earth can take your salvation away. Isn't that good? They could take your life away. And many do. But they can't take your salvation away. Christ has given it. And he can keep us. Our lives are hid with Christ in God. So a seal speaks of security. A seal speaks of ownership. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. <clears throat> Romans 8 and 9, Paul says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. But we have the Spirit of Christ because we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we know that we belong to Him exclusively. Sealing was not only used in ancient times, but it's used in modern times. And it takes different forms. During the last World War, 70 years ago, the Nazis branded every Jew they could find. They made them wear the yellow Star of David, didn't they? Many of them, they had their arms tattooed with a number. They reduced them literally to a number. Anybody that's ever been to the death camps, you'll see the photographs of their numbers. And so there's nothing new in that. There's nothing new in it that it's not going to happen again. It's going to happen in future times. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, first of all. In chapter 7 of Revelation, it says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And the next few verses tells you how many out of each tribe. Who were these 144,000? Who, who will they be? Because this is future. 144,000 Jewish evangelists. In the time of the tribulation of the Antichrist, they will go throughout the earth and they will preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many people will come to faith. It will cost them perhaps their very lives, but they'll come to faith by believing what they preach. 
There'll be two witnesses who will preach the gospel as well. And again, many will come to faith in Christ even during that period, but it will cost them dearly. But notice they were sealed on their forehead. And nothing was to happen until they were sealed. And once they were sealed, nobody could touch them. And the Antichrist couldn't kill them. In fact, at one point after their work was done, they were taken up into heaven. And then in Revelation chapter 14, it tells you a little bit more about the sealing. And I looked and behold... A lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. So here is this great company of 144,000, these Jews that were Jewish evangelists, been taken up into the glory. So here they are, and now they are safe. They're home, and they're safe, and now no one can ever touch them. One day you'll be home and safe. And no one can ever touch you. Amen. Now we're blessed that we live in a land where nobody is touching us. There's nobody standing outside tonight waiting for us to go out here to chop our heads off. But maybe if you're in Syria as a believer, maybe there would be. Maybe you took a plane and just flew a few hours to another part of the world. Maybe that's the position you would be in. But now they're home safe. This is having his father's name written on their foreheads. They were sealed having his father's name written on their foreheads for all to see in heaven. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing with their harps, and they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. So they're a singing company, and they're singing the praises of our God. And no one can learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So they were a select company. Yes, they were believers. And yes, heaven was filled believers. And today there's many believers on the earth. So not select in that sense, but select in the sense that they have a specific job to do for the kingdom. And if you're a believer tonight, you're select in that sense there's a specific job for you to do for the kingdom. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So they were a saved company. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So they were a sanctified company. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. So they were a serving company. These were the redeemed from among men. And on and on you could go. But the main thing was that they were sealed. But did you remember in the book of Revelation that there was somebody else who was sealing? <clears throat> See, the devil copies everything, doesn't he? No originality in chapter 13 of Revelation. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Sea representing the nations, by the way having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And by the way, I haven't time to go into that, but all of that's telling us the area that he will eventually come from, which is not my subject. 
And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Who's the dragon? Satan himself. And I saw one of the heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. The beast here is the Antichrist. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe and tongue and nation. And all those who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Now this is speaking about the Antichrist who will rise up in these last days. And you may look at that and say, well, how in the world could one man have so much power and authority that the whole world will wander after him very easily? You can see how that, uh, whether presidents or whether prime ministers, how that overnight, suddenly, sometimes from out of nowhere, suddenly they're world leaders and they're striding the world stage. It can happen so fast and it will happen fast. But notice this, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that even makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he receives those who dwell, uh, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both great and small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, note, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no man may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name." Here's wisdom, let who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. His number is 666. Who is that beast? That's the false prophet. So there you have the unholy trinity. The dragon, Satan. The beast, first beast that talks about, the Antichrist, who stands, I suppose, symbolically in the place of the Son, and in the false prophet, symbolically in the place of the Holy Spirit. That's the unholy trinity that one day will rule on this earth. And note that a sign and a stamp and a seal will be given a number on the forehead or on the hand that no man can buy or sell unless they receive that. Now you can see how that could come about very quickly. 
you can see at the moment <laughs> how that just economically you could be put in a position where unless you do this, you can't get that. Do you know right now at the moment, most churches anyway, uh, and we're no exception, we use the gift aid scheme, and it's a way of tax that would come back to you, comes back to us. That's the government set up many years ago. But let me prophesy to you something. In the not too distant future, there'll be stipulations, I believe, will be made upon the gift aid. So if you don't accept this or this or this, we will not count you as a charity and you'll lose your gift aid status. Do you believe that's coming? I believe that's coming sooner rather than later. Uh, at the moment, this, our country's going through a whole change of process regarding charity status. Fair enough, because there's lots of people who's claiming to be charities who are not charities, so that's fair enough. But once that's all done and dusted, and it'll take a wee while, but once it is, you can guarantee somebody will say, churches should not get gifted money because they will not do this or this or this or this. They're biased, they're intolerant, they're hateful. And before you know it, will be placed in that position. Say, Pastor, what will you do when that happens? I'll tell them to keep your money. Because we're not going to accept it. And should we lose that gift aid for the year, so be it. God's bigger than the gift aid, isn't he? And so sealing is a sign of ownership. In Revelation chapter 3, where Christ is in the midst of the seven churches in Asia. And he's speaking to all of the seven churches. And only two out of the seven gets no rebuke. Isn't that interesting? Only two out of the seven churches he doesn't rebuke. And one of them is the faithful church which is the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3, verse 7. The other one was Smyrna, which is the persecuted church. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens the door, and he who opens no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, but you've kept my word. And, I have, and you have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And know that I have loved you, because I have kept my command to, you kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So God is into sealing, marking, branding, making it known who we belong to in that particular church are going to be branded for their faithfulness.
And so here we have an invisible mark is upon us. In Ezekiel chapter 9, it's very interesting. In Ezekiel chapter 9, just let me just read a little bit here. And he called... And he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, with faces north, each with a battle axe in his hand. One man was among them clothed with linen, and had a writer's inkhorn at his side, and they went in and stood beside the bronze altar." And the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub which had been seen, which had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And his Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you'd see that God says, Mark those who sigh and cry for the sins of this city, who are desperately concerned about the state of the city. He says, Mark them. So one had a writer's inkhorn to mark them. And the rest, he says, slay with the sword. And so God sees those who sigh and cry for the state of the nation or for the state of the city and he marks them. He knows who they are. They're his. Speaks of security, speaks of ownership, speaks of authority. The seal is a sign of authority. Whenever Joseph was elevated from the prison to the palace and Pharaoh gave him that privileged position to be second only to him in the whole nation. And he gave him new clothes. And he gave him a chariot to ride in, where people would bow when they saw him coming. But he gave him his signet ring as a seal. Because when business needed to be done on behalf of the king, a seal had to be made. And Joseph was given the seal of authority. The story of Mordecai in the book of Esther, chapter 8, tells us much the same thing. Whenever Mordecai and Esther saved their people from Haman, who wanted to destroy all of the Jews, and when that happened and when that plot was exposed, and the king saw who was a guilty party, which was Haman, and he had him hung for that, and then he elevated Mordecai. Esther was the queen. He elevated Mordecai. And what did he do? He says, I want you to make a decree to save all of your people through all of my provinces. And he gave him his seal to make the order. So he had the seal of authority. Listen, believer, when God seals us with his spirit, he gives us a place of authority. A place of authority. Whenever the prodigal returned to the father's house, even though he says, I'm not fit to be called your son. I just will be your slave. But we know what the father did. The father hugged him and he kissed him and he says, bring out the best robe and put sandals on his feet and kill the fatted calf, but give him 
a ring. The family ring. The ring of authority. And what he was saying is, I'm giving you back your authority. The authority that you had, that you spurned, that you went into the far country, but I'm giving it back to you. The elder brother wasn't pleased, sure he wasn't, but the father wanted to make sure that he wasn't just giving them new clothes, he was giving them a privileged position in the family again. He gave them that place of authority. What authority do we have? Because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the authority of Christ. We act on his behalf. Paul puts it another way. 2 Corinthians 5.20, here's what he said. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So our position as believers is to go in the authority of Christ to try to reconcile people back to God. How do we do that? to share the good news with them and to pray for them and try to show them the goodness of God and try to draw them to God. That is a position of authority that we have. And then it can represent genuineness. You can just buy anything, almost anything today as fake. Almost anything. Clothes, I remember when Claire first went to the Philippines, she said she went into this shop one day. It was, it was a wee private shop that somebody had, and they were selling jeans, and they had all the jeans lined up. And Claire says, oh, I would like that pair of jeans. And, and he brought out this box with all these different labels, and he says, what label do you want to put on it? <laughs> and every label you could think of, he just put it on it, you know? Uh, uh, so everything can be fit. Medicine. You can buy fake medicine on the Internet. Hope you don't. Do you see the program recently where Head and Shoulders Shampoo? Where nearly all the pound shops, it was all fake. Now, it wasn't the pound shop fault. They didn't know. They were sold it in good faith. They thought it was genuine, but it was fake. And, and it was causing people all kinds of problems. And they put it on their head. Their heads were swelling up and everything. Hope that hasn't put you off head and shoulders if you use that. <laughs> you use that, Brian, is it? No. <laughs> you don't have any dandruff. You must use it. It must be good stuff. Uh, so even in China, can you imagine this? In China, they actually had a fake Apple store, Apple computer store. The whole store, not just the Apple machines, not the iPods. The whole store with the glass stairs, everything was fake with a big Apple sign. It was incredible. But God's seal is not found on fakes. God only seals the genuine, the real McCoy, the real thing. And if our experience with Christ is real, then we are sealed. Romans 8 and 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not a his. And we're not sealed. But when we're sealed, we have the Spirit of God. In Britain, of course, you could buy silver or gold and you look for its hallmark. You see those programs on television, you know, flog it and bargain hunt and all those things and all those experts, the first thing they do is they get their little magnifying glass and they, they look to see if there's a hallmark to see if it's assayed in Birmingham or London or wherever has it been tested, has the metal been tested is it genuine, is it real, if it is it's stamped with a hallmark and you know that mark, that, that means it's real, it's genuine well we have been assayed in heaven <laughs> The stamp of God is on us. 
His seal is upon us. The Apostle Paul one time, he loved the Corinthian church and uh, he taught it for a long time and he wrote two letters to it. But at one point he was away, he was on his missionary journeys and, and others had come in when he was gone. And they came in with all these big letters of recommendation because in those days if you were a traveling preacher, it was wise if you had a recommendation from some other church group, some other group of believers. Because you go to a new group, they don't know who you are, where you are, so you had some kind of a letter to introduce yourself. There's some churches even today in the province, and you'd never ever get in their pulpit unless you had some kind of recommendation from some other church that knows you, which is fair enough, I suppose. But here he is, he's away, and this is a church that they knew him well. He, they were very familiar with him and his ministry, and he with them. But these other ones had sneaked in and they had all these big flurry letters of recommendation from everywhere. And so when Paul wanted to go back to the Corinthian church, they were actually asking him for a letter. Can you imagine that? So he said in 2 Corinthians 3, first three verses, says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need as some others epistles or letters of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Paul says, listen, you want to know the evidence in my life that God's in my life? He says, you're the evidence. I led you to Christ. You're Christ's epistle written on your hearts. <laughs> Do you know that you're Christ's epistle tonight? He's written on your heart that you belong to him. See, we're something of worth. We're something of tremendous value to God. The church purchased with the blood of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, is the most valuable thing in the face of the earth because it cost God his own son to purchase you, to redeem you, to seal you. That's what makes you valuable. Not that in and of ourselves we're valuable, but that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have that everlasting life. And because God loves us so much, he put that tremendous price upon us, even the blood of his own son, even the death of his own son. In Isaiah 53, it says, he saw the travail of his soul and he was satisfied. Not that he was satisfied, not that he was pleased that his son was hanging on a cross, suffering a cruel death, but what that would accomplish pleased him satisfied him. And what, was the, what it would accomplish? That you would become born again. That you would be a son and a daughter of his through the death of his son on the cross. That pleased him. That satisfied him. That's what it cost. God himself thought that the blood of his own son was worth your purchase. And then it speaks of likeness. You see, the seal generally was made with wax and it was melted, it was molten, and then the signet ring with the crest or the insignia was pressed into it and it bore its likeness, the same likeness 
That was the whole idea. So when somebody looked at that seal, they knew who that belonged to because it had that likeness of that signet ring upon it. And if we belong to Christ and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, then the likeness of Christ should be seen in our lives. And if it's not, there's something wrong. But the wax had to be soft. It had to be molten. If it was hard and it's dry, you couldn't make the impression. So it had to be softened. It had to be pliable to be stamped. And our hearts had to be softened. There's times our hearts were hard, weren't there? Some of us were hard against the gospel and hard against the good news. But God softened our hearts. He softened our hearts. He melted our hard hearts and he changed us so that his stump could be in our lives, that his likeness could be upon us. See what Paul said? Remember it there? I just read it. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, not written with ink, but, that, but by the Spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but in tablets of flesh that is the heart. The hard, stony heart cannot be sealed with the Holy Spirit. They have to become soft and pliable so that we can be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then we'll finish, and you know it well. It speaks of a guarantee, doesn't it? <coughs> Ephesians 1, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And guarantee, as you know, means earnest. Earnest money is the down payment. And again, even in business today, that can be still talked about, earnest money, the down payment. So the Holy Spirit is God's down payment on your life for that which is to come. It's the promise of that which is to come. We haven't got it all yet. <laughs> I mean, even our bodies, we talk about this all the time, our bodies need to be redeemed. Paul says we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Our spirit, our soul saved. Our bodies waiting to be redeemed. That's why it's still decaying. But one day, we'll get our new body, as God has promised. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that you're going to have a new body when you get to heaven. So it is. We've said to you before that word guarantee, here where it's written, it's the exact same Greek word that today is used for engagement ring, arabona, engagement ring. Now, what's an engagement ring? An engagement ring is the promise of a more intimate, long-lasting relationship that is to come. You put that engagement ring on her finger, you're promising something. You're promising a more lasting, intimate relationship, hopefully, for the rest of your lives. There's a lot still to come. That's the promise. That's the promise. And with God, 
It is his guarantee. The Holy Spirit is his guarantee, his pledge, his promise, his down payment, his guarantee of the future inheritance he has in store for us throughout all eternity. <laughs> the best, my friend, is yet to come. The best day on earth will peel into insignificance <coughs> to the first day in heaven. That first moment you open your eyes in heaven, nothing on earth will ever compare to that. And the fact that you have the Holy Spirit tonight living inside you is the guarantee of the promise of that which is to come. You're sealed. Glory to God. It's an invisible seal. We can't see it, but it's there. But if it is there, others may not see the actual seal, but they'll know there's something that's different about your life. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the seal of the Spirit upon you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promises tonight. We bless you for so much that is still to come. We thank you for all you have done for us in this life and for all you will yet do in this life. But Lord, there's a whole eternity ahead and you've given the promise that it's going to be greater. So thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in us tonight. Thank you for his life in us. Thank you for his power in us. Thank you for the guidance that he gives, the wisdom he imparts. And Lord, that's only the beginning. That's only the down payment of that which is to come. And it's all, as Paul said, to the praise of his glory. So we bless you tonight. Help us to go out into our working week this week, knowing that we're stumped for eternity. The imprimatur is upon us tonight. And Lord, even though it may be invisible, but it's there, and God can see it, and the angels can see it, and the forces of darkness can see it. We thank you, Lord, that we're stumped and marked for eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.